dismissed at this time for Children's Church. You can head down there. I mentioned we still have a few um, openings if anyone wants to help with uh, the carnival on Saturday. One in particular, I've yet to find um, somebody that can do balloon animals. Or we did have somebody that can juggle, so we've got that spot covered. Um, but if anyone can make balloon animals, let me know. We're looking for that one crucial spot, maybe a sword or you know an animal, a dog, whatever. Um, but be praying for that day in uh, the gospel opportunities, most importantly. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6 again this morning. Romans chapter 6. As we walk through the book of Romans together, last week we established our identification is with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse number 6 as we start this morning. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, that's where we will pick up. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It goes on, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Verse 10, for the death He has died. He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before You this morning, Lord, and we thank You for the opportunity we have to gather together corporately to look into Your Word. Father, we thank You for your grace. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, as we go a little bit further this morning and unpack this text, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts this morning to what you have for us individually. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. Father, we thank you that your word never changes in a climate that constantly changes. Your word is rock solid and it's reliable and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray maybe there is someone here this morning that has come to the service and has never come to the Savior. They don't have that personal relationship with you. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, again, I thank you for our time together. We give you the praise and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last week, we discussed that our old man is crucified with Christ. We established that. Our old man is dead. Paul declares, I have been crucified with who? With Christ. It is no longer I who live because I am dead, but it's Christ who lives in me. And when we trust Christ, when we trust Jesus Christ and Christ alone as our Lord and Savior, a divine miracle takes place in us. And what we are made to uh, really participate in His death, burial, and resurrection. Our old man, our previous man, our, our damaged sinful self is crucified and put to death. And we are free from the penalty. That's justification. We talked about that a little bit last week. Our new life 
is now in Christ. Although I have died with Christ positionally, theologically it seems to be my old self, my old man, we talked about this last week, is still twitching a little bit, right? It seems like that old flesh is still kicking, if you will. It seems to me that my old man or, or my body of sin is very much alive. Does anyone understand? Does anyone follow this morning? And perhaps just maybe it's my problem. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. The theological argument isn't so obvious to me. Because I continually, I daily battle with my flesh. With this body of sin with the old man. Fair enough. All theology, as I mentioned last week, all theology needs application. And what Paul does here is he, he really bridges the gap, the gap from the, the positional now to the practical. Our first point this morning is that our application is outlined here for us in our text. Allow me to read verse 11 through 14, and that's where we're really going to be this morning. It says, starting in verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Remember the story of Lazarus? Remember that? After being dead for four days, Jesus called him forth from the grave, and Lazarus stepped out of that grave, wrapped from head to toe in grave clothes. Jesus instructed, immediately instructed for what? Those grave clothes to be removed. He instructed those that were standing around to unbind him and let him go. In the Christian life, I wish it were that easy to rid ourselves of our grave clothes, for they seem to just hang. They just seem to hang on, don't they? But Paul helps us here now with, with our question. If I have really died to sin, if I have been really raised to new life in Jesus Christ, why do I struggle? And in fact, for the following chapters, he's going to address the ver that very same theme. But he helps us here with three key words here in our passage this morning. Three key words here, he outlines the application for us and how we ought to live a new life in Christ. Subpoint letter A is the word no. He outlines that. That's in our text. No. You'll find that in verse number 3. You'll find that in verse number 6, as well as verse number 9. Spiritual exhortation is always built on spiritual understanding and knowledge. And Paul's point has been this. We must know. 
We must understand the truth that we are spiritually dead to sin. We are alive in Christ if we ever hope to live a whole, the holy life that God desires. I've said this many times, orthodoxy always precedes orthopraxy, or right belief always comes before right behavior. And the truths of verse numbers 1 through 10 are fundamental axioms behind fruitful Christian living. I might repeat them. We are united with Christ in His death. We have been raised with Him in His resurrection, and we are now able to walk in a newness of life by His grace. And for that reason, folks, Paul wrote to the Colossians, put on the new self, which is being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of one, the one who created Him. As it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. So the first point of application this morning is that we must know. We must know. Sometimes we've heard maybe the complaint of that there's too much doctrine at that church. Well, forgive me for that. There's too much teaching at that church. I just want application. I just want to know what to do. Well, first, you need to know what you need to know, right? Does that make sense? Then, at that point, you can make the application. At that point, you can make the application as the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts and reveals to us the areas in which we should change. So the application is outlined by the Apostle Paul here is letter A, no. No. Secondly, in verse 11, it says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And there we find the second word, consider, or reckon. Maybe your translation might say reckon. And where letter A addresses the head, okay, letter B is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. The word consider or, or reckon means to count or regard something as being true. This is the vital, really, the vital issue of what's going on here, of what we know because of, of conviction or because of belief. Allow me to illustrate it this way. How many of you remember uh, back in the day when they would go around selling vacuum cleaners door to door. Does anybody remember that? I'm not gonna ask how many have purchased, it doesn't matter. If you did purchase, I'm sure that vacuum cleaner is still working to this day, just like the guy said, right? So suppose I am a vacuum uh, cleaner salesman, and I, I think I would probably be pretty good at that, right? So I'm gonna go to your home, I'm gonna knock at your door, you're gonna turn all your lights off, right? Pretend you're not there. I'm gonna knock on your door, you're going you're gonna to let me in. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and take out my little container of dirt, right? Along with my handy-dandy vacuum cleaner and spill it all over your white carpet. Oh, no. That's all right. We're going to go ahead and take care of this, right? Get my vacuum cleaner out and go ahead and put it to the test. And it, and it of course, cleans up that dirt that I spilled because it's the, the most heavy-duty, best vacuum cleaner that you're ever going to buy and the last vacuum cleaner you're ever going to buy. And it works well, right? And then I would go on and explain to you 
they're really the tech specs behind this vacuum cleaner. You know, if you're careful, if you're not, you know, you gotta be careful or it'll suck the carpet right off the floor. It's so powerful. You know, I'll give you all the information that you need to know in order to buy this vacuum cleaner. And at that point, I'll, I'll go ahead and lead you into a, a very easy payment plan, right? You can have this today for $4 a month or you know, whatever it might be. But although you know all the facts and all the tech specs and the functions of this vacuum cleaner, it's not until you are convinced that that vacuum cleaner is worth your money and that vacuum cleaner will change your life. And it's not until that time that you will sign the paperwork to go ahead and commit to buy the best vacuum around. Folks, there's a lot of us who have heard the sales pitch. We know all that it can do, but we have not considered it with complete conviction and belief so that we make that purchase. Hearing the teaching of your positional death and new life in Jesus Christ isn't enough. You must consider to be, you must consider it to be true. You must count it to be real in your life. You must be sold on the reality and the significance of it. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse number 11. Likewise, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must know. We must consider. We must count to, to reckon. Letter C, we must yield. The next one is we must yield. And that's the teaching of verses 12 through 14. As letter A again addresses the mind, Letter B is an issue of the heart, and letter C is a matter of our will or our volition. And Paul doesn't use the illustration of selling vacuum cleaners, folks. He doesn't use that illustration, but instead he personifies sin as a, really a monarch who is dethroned, yet determined to reign in the believer's life just as he did before salvation. If you're looking at the text there, verse 12 through 14. So Paul's command is this. Do not let sin reign because it has no right to reign. It has been dethroned. It is dead. It only has the power to control a believer who chooses to obey its lusts. And folks, that's the matter of yielding and submitting. So often you hear of, Preachers and teachers speak of commitment. You, you need to commit. You need, we need committed Christians here. You need to be a faithful Christian. You need to serve and you need to give. You know what God wants from us? He wants yieldedness. He wants yieldedness. He wants submission. He wants us to surrender our will to the will of the Holy Spirit of God. Allow me to create a hypothetical scenario for you. It's somewhat trivial, but perhaps the trivial can illustrate the profound this morning. Let's just imagine you have a vice, a sinful habit you cannot conquer. Each morning when the alarm clock rings and goes off, you roll over and hit the snooze button. Has anyone ever experienced that in your life? I have. 
And if my dad was here this morning, he would tell you I had a problem with that when I was in high school. What I would do is I would set my alarm for 5 a.m. And I would hit snooze until about 7. Here's part of the problem is that their bedroom was right above me. I loved hitting the snooze button. I loved it for, for hours. Till one morning, I, uh, I was awoken by my father. He throws my door open. And at this time, I, Vivian and I were engaged in... Uh, I wear, I wear glasses, I wear contacts now, but I could, I could just see the outline of him standing there. He, he throws the door open and he yells at me, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? So he approaches the, and I had the alarm clock like right at, by my head. I'm a very sound sleeper, it had to be there, I wouldn't hear it at all. So he goes over and he walks over and unplugs it from the, from the wall. He goes, Vivian is not gonna put up with this. And he stormed out. I had a problem. I had a problem. But let's just say, maybe someone in here might have the same problem. We can talk later. Uh, But each morning when the alarm clock rings, you roll over and hit the snooze button. Many times in the morning. So many times that now you're late for work. That's a problem, right? Embarrassed, you come to me and say, Pastor Craig, I have been late to work so many times that my boss now has threatened to fire me if I continue this. Can you help me? I realize that I have a laziness problem. Is laziness a sin? Yeah. Now you say, well, it's not a bad sin, right? Well, a sin's a sin, right? Just a little one, right? Just a tiny one. You say, Pastor, I have a laziness problem, and it's not my fault, right? Because things never are, right? We live in a time where nothing's ever your fault. You say, it's not my fault. My parents were lazy. My grandparents were lazy. I just need help. Can you, can you help me? So what we do is we get together and we develop some practical ideas, right? We decide that you need to go to bed earlier. That was part of my problem. I stayed up late and just hit snooze button, whatever. You got to go to bed earlier so that your body gets the rest that it needs. And then I suggest to you, you need to take your alarm clock and put it across the room, right? Put it across the room. So that way you got to get out of bed and turn it off. After that, you pray to God to enable you, to empower you, to be responsible each morning so that you can make it to work on time. You implement these ideas. You go to bed earlier, you put your alarm clock across the room, but each morning when that alarm clock rings, you dash across the room blindly, stumbling over everything, and you slam the alarm clock and you crawl right back into bed. And you are still late for work. And so we talk again. And I ask you if God has convicted you of your slothfulness, in your laziness, in your irresponsibility, and you say, oh yes, absolutely, I'm, I'm greatly convicted, and I, I feel guilty, but I'm powerless. I'm powerless to do anything other than that. You see, each morning, God reminds me that I should get up, that I need to be to work on time, that would honor Him and my earthly authority, my boss as well. And I say, okay, 
Let me ask you this. What if I were to come to your home and physically wake you up? Would you get out of bed? And would you get ready for work so you wouldn't be late? And you said, oh, yes. Yes, Pastor Craig, that's what I need. It's exactly what I need. I need accountability. I need an accountability partner. And if you are my accountability partner, after all, you are, you know, you are my pastor. If you're my accountability partner, most certainly I will get up and conquer my habit of laziness. And I will get out of bed. You'll be proud of me, Pastor Craig. But here's the problem, folks. What was just conveyed to me, what was just told to me, is that you are motivated to get out of bed to please me. Right? But if God said, get up, what do you do? You go back to bed. Now, I understand that is a very, very trivial illustration. It's so trivial, it's almost laughable. But folks, what may appear to be a lack of self-discipline in the life of an individual, I'm going to call it a lack of obedience to God. And instead of yielding and submitting and obeying the voice of the living God, we yield and we submit to the dead and the dethroned old man, the feelings of our flesh. And if we live our Christian lives yielded to the feelings of our flesh in a simple matter or responsibility of getting up in the morning, or greater matter of morality or holiness, then, dear friend, we are denying the fact that we are dead with Christ and that we have been raised with Christ. Either we listen to the flesh and sin, or we listen to the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit's conviction. Now, you might be a little frustrated with me right now, because it's easier said than done, right? I'll meet with people and they'll say the exact same thing. We'll talk through it and they'll say, well, that's easy for you to say. You're just listening. I understand that. And I understand the struggle here. The Apostle Paul understood the struggle. And that's why he took the Roman believers back to the point of knowledge. He took them back to the point of knowledge, to the point of conviction, and the point of surrender, letter A, B, and C, so that they might have victory in their Christian lives. Now, in the following weeks, these things will be flushed out more and more and even further. They'll be unpacked further to help us understand how we may have victory over the old man our dead man. Let me ask you a question. Can we have that victory? Yeah. We can. You're saying, yeah, but you, you don't know what I'm going through, Pastor Craig. You don't know what's going on in my life. You're right. I may not. But I know you can have that victory. I want to ask you a few questions this morning kind of direct questions. Number one, am I alive to Christ? Am I alive to Christ? And we talked a little about that last week, the justification and salvation. 
Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for your forgiveness of your sins for everlasting life? Are you alive in Christ? Number two, am I living for Christ? Am I living for Christ? And dear friend, you can't answer one contrary to the other. You cannot live for Christ unless you have been made alive in Christ. And if you have been made alive in Christ, you must live for Christ. Let me ask you a question, another question this morning. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Are you living for Christ? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? I was talking this morning with a gentleman kind of on this same track this morning as far as our old man and the struggles that we have. I said, it's a daily struggle. He said, it's a moment-by-moment sometimes struggle. It's a moment-by-moment to die to self, to put away the old man. But who gives the power to do so? Who gives the power to do so? The Lord. The Lord. So number one, are you alive to Christ? Do you know Him as your personal Savior? That's first and foremost. That's, a, that's the first thing you've got to make sure of. And then number two, am I living for Christ? Are you studying God's Word? Are you applying God's Word? Are you meeting with a group of believers that will encourage you, that you can grow with? Are you living for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning as we finished out this part of the text this morning. As we look at this, as we apply it to our lives. Father, again, the questions that I posed just a few short moments ago is, am I alive in Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins for everlasting life? Are you alive in Christ? Number two, am I living for Christ? And again, as I mentioned, you can't answer the one contrary to the other. You cannot live for Christ unless you have been made alive in Christ. If you've been made alive in Christ, you must live for Christ. What a privilege, what an honor that is. Again, Father, I pray maybe there is someone that has come to this service this morning that doesn't have that personal relationship with you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who paid a penalty that we can't even begin to repay by going to that cross, by being our, our wrath bearer, for taking on our sins, the sins of the world. Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you that 
He did that on our behalf. We thank you that we can put our full faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, for the the taking away of our sins, the penalty. We thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would give us boldness as believers as we go throughout our week. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Father, I pray for the carnival coming up on Saturday that you would give great opportunities to proclaim the gospel and to show Christ's love. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, I pray that all that we do glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.